The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 uh, happens to be, it's interesting, on the calendar, this ended up Valentine's week. It has to do with marriage, uh, remarriage, and divorce. Jim, I can't get this to work. There you go. Get it for me, and we'll go from there. Why don't we do something a little different? Why don't we stand together as I read God's word? Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. And rising up, Jesus went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered around him again. And according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. And some Pharisees came up to him, testing him. If you write in your Bibles, you might want to circle the word testing. They're coming to test Jesus. And they begin to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. So their question is a legal question. Is it lawful for a man to get a divorce from his wife? And Jesus answered and said, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted. Notice the change there. What did he command? They say Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send away his wife. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God commanded, God said this, uh, he made them male and female. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. Consequently, they are no longer two, but one. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And in the house, the disciples began questioning him about this. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another, she is committing adultery. Father, I pray that you would encourage folks today. I pray that the truth of your word would convict, challenge, and change. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you've been at TBC for any length of time, you've heard me say many times, if there's anything worse than being single and wanting to be married, it's being married and... Wanting to be single. I, I mean, that, that is so true. If there's anything worse than being single and wanting to be married, is being married and wanting to be single. No one wants to be in that situation. But for many, they are in painful, disappointing, and difficult marriages. You can relate to the following story that someone sent to me. A lady was getting her coffee in Starbucks. As she looked out the window, there was a funeral procession that was going by. It was a rather unusual procession because there was a long black hearse followed by a second long black hearse about 50 feet behind the first one. Behind the second hearse was a solitary woman walking with a pit bull on the leash. And then behind her were about 200 women walking in single file. So you've got hearse, hearse, woman with a pit bull on a leash, and about 200 women in single file behind her. The lady in Starbucks uh, was curious, and her curiosity got the best of her. So she walked out and approached the lady rather gently and said, I'm so sorry for your loss. I know this is a difficult time, but you mind if I disturb you for a second? She said, no, what would you like to know? said, whose funeral is this? She said, it's my husband's. What happened to him? My dog attacked him and killed him. He's in the first car. Then who's in the second hearse? It's my mother-in-law. She was trying to help my husband when the dog turned on her. Poignant, thoughtful moment of silence passed, and the lady said, can I borrow that dog of yours? (laughs) And she turned to her and said, get in line. For some, they've been in very disappointing, difficult, and painful relationships, and uh, you can relate to that story. Where's the dog? I want the dog. It's been difficult. 
if not all it's cracked up to be, you've struggled. How many of you saw the movie Fireproof when it came out? There's a movie, there's a scene in Fireproof that depicts, I think, what many people experience in marriage. Last night, many people had this experience. Some of you probably had this experience. Watch this little segment with me. See, you left me no pizza. Caleb, I just lit that candle. I like the way it smells. Well, I don't. Did you leave me any dinner at all? I assumed you were eating with Michael. Does it not occur to you that there are two people living in this house and both of them need to eat? You know what, Caleb? If you would communicate with me, maybe I could have something for you. Why do you have to make everything so difficult? Oh, I'm making everything difficult? Seems to me like I'm the one carrying the weight around here while you're off doing your own thing. Excuse me? I'm the one out there working to pay this mortgage, and I pay for both of the cars. Yeah, and that's all you do. I pay all of our bills with my salary. Which you agreed to do. That's fair. Do you not like this house? Do you not like your car? Oh, Caleb, who takes care of this house? Yeah. Me. Who washes all the clothes? Me. Who gets all the groceries? Me. Not to mention I'm helping my parents every weekend. You know, I've got all this pressure on me, and the only thing you ever do for anybody is for yourself. Let me tell you something. You don't know the first thing about pressure. All right, you think I, I put out house fires for myself or, or rush to car wrecks at 2 a.m. for myself or pull a child's body out of a lake for myself? You have no idea what I go through. Oh, yeah, but what do you do around here other than watch TV and waste time on the Internet? You know what? If looking at that trash is how you get fulfilled, that's fine, but I will not compete with it. Well, I sure don't get it from you. And you won't. Because you care more about saving for your stupid boat and pleasing yourself than you ever did about me. Shut up! I'm sick of you! You disrespectful, ungrateful, selfish woman! How dare you say that to me! You constantly nag me and you drain the life out of me! I'm tired of it! If you can't give me the respect I deserve, look at me! Then what's the point of this marriage? You want out. That's fine with me. <laughs> For some of you, that scene is so painful because you've lived it recently. Maybe you're living it right now. For some of you, it seems so painful because you grew up in that. You know what it's like. Some of you can't relate to it at all. You're thinking, how can two people who love one another be so cruel to one another? When you look at that scene, we all relate in different ways. We all respond in different ways. The reality, God doesn't want us to live that way. Good news is if you watch the rest of that movie, it works itself out, and God does a marvelous work in the lives of that couple portrayed in that movie. But there are many people who feel just like them. There are many people whose experience in marriage is just like that, and that's not what God wants. On the other hand, there are many of us who have weathered difficult times. We were tried, we were tested, but we remain committed. It wasn't easy, but we decided, you know what, it's worth everything God said it was, and we're going to continue on. And so by God's grace and according to, to, to honor him, we, we stuck it out. I agree with the San Francisco attorney who said there are two things that should never be entered to, into prematurely, embalming and divorce. 
He's right. And some of you stuck it out. I, 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 want, I want this to be an encouraging morning, so I want to honor some folks. If you've been married 30 years or more, would you stand up? 30 years or more of marriage, would you stand up? Forty years or more, keep standing. You've been married forty years or more. Would you keep standing? Look at that. Take a look around this room. There you go. Fifty years or more, keep standing. You've celebrated your golden wedding anniversary. Keep standing. Look at that. Wow. Sixty. We have anybody here celebrated sixty years of marriage? Would you keep standing? There we go. Wow, back here and up here. Yeah, I'm fifty nine. I'm glad my folks stood up for that one. Thank you, guys. Bless you. Look at that. It's an amazing story to see what God has done. And every one of those folks would come up here and say, you know what? We certainly had issues along the way, but by God's grace, we've made it. It's not because of us, but it's because of him. And so you look at that and say, those are my heroes. Those are, that's the way that I would like to be one day. I would like to go through it. You know, some of you are sitting there saying, I don't fit into this group at all. I show up on a Sunday, I, I am odd man out. I show up on a Sunday, I don't fit in. Everybody's got it together. Here's a reality, we don't. I, I've done this the previous two hours, and I'll do it uh, right now. 90% of the hands have gone up the previous two hours. If you have been through a divorce, if your parents have been through a divorce, if one of your kids have been through a divorce, or if a brother or sister have been through a divorce, your immediate family, mom or dad, you yourself, kids or a sibling, would you just raise your hand right now? Take a look around. Take a look around. About 90% of us one more time. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. So don't walk out of here feeling like everybody has it together and I don't. The reality is we're all sinners, we're all fallen, and we're all struggling, and some of us have achieved some success in this area and want to continue on. Well, God's ideal is clear. When you go to the Old Testament, God's ideal is clear. God's ideal is one man, one woman for life. If you look at the passage that Jesus quotes to the Pharisees, they came testing him. And before we look at what the test was, Jesus reminds them of what the word of God says. God made the male and female for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and the two become one. If you've been at TBC for any, any length of time, I've taught in this passage numerous times. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. You can actually look at it with me, or I'll just save you. If you don't want to, that's fine. Uh, you can open your app, your Bible, to Genesis chapter 2. It's an interesting section of God's Word. The creation has just taken place. God has looked at all of creation and says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. He looks at Adam, and what does he say? Not good. We, we get a problem here. And you remember what he said? It's not good for man to what? Be alone. Now, Adam is in face-to-face communication with God. He has a relationship with God. He can come to God at any point in time. But man and woman are made for relationship with one another. And God looks at Adam and says, Adam, you've got me and I've got you, but this is not good. You're alone. 
There are times when people will counsel you and say, God is enough. Well, God is enough, but also God has made us to require, to, to desire and need relationship. And so even though Adam was in face-to-face communication with God, God says, Adam, it's not good for you to be by yourself. Adam, you are alone. So you remember what God does next? I mean, a lot of people miss this. Well, first of all, he says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for you, Adam. I'm going to make a helper suitable for you. Now, ladies, but before you begin looking and say, well, God must be chauvinistic to call me a helper that's suitable, uh, that, that particular terminology is used 16 times in the Old Testament, 14 times it's used of God himself. And so what the Word of God is saying is, I, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you someone, Adam, who is a lot like God in your life, so to speak. I mean, th- this is one that's going to come along. Now, uh, the, the particular word that's used there, and we've looked at this several times, helper is one who comes alongside, not demeaning, suitable means to complement, uh, to fill gaps. And I, I, I've used this a dozen times. You know, there were about 1,600 Rocky movies that were made in the past. You remember that? Rocky one all the way to 1,600. And in the very, in the very first one, in the very first one, Rocky falls in love with uh, a guy named Polly's sister. What was her name? Adrian. Adrian. Falls in love with... You guys watch too much if you watch this. That's <laughs> terrible acting. But anyway, there, there's a great scene in there when Polly can understand why anybody in the world would fall in love with his sister. I mean, you know how that is. I, why would you fall in love with my sister? And, and then Rocky has a great theological answer, although I'm sure the producer of that movie had no idea. You remember what he said? Why, 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 why do you want to be with my sister Polly? Rocky says, gaps. She got gaps, I got gaps. Together we fill gaps. <laughs> that is great theology. That's exactly what Genesis is saying. It's exactly what chapter 2, verse 18 is saying. God has made man and woman comes along and together we fill one another's gaps. Wasn't for Bev, I would still be living. I mean, she's filled so many gaps in my life. I'd still be living in a double Y with shag carpet somewhere little lava lamp gone on, that kind of stuff, you know, and, and, and just be happy as, as a tick on a vein. But, you know, I, 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 would be, I would be prideful, I would be arrogant, and I would be insensitive because God placed a woman in my life who is sensitive. And so she has come along and God has used our relationship to smooth off many rough edges in my life. We have filled one another's gaps. That's what God calls us to do. So what does God do? He says, it's not good for you to be alone. In fact, I'm going to give you a helper suitable for him. So what's the very next thing God does? You remember? He parades the animals in front of Adam. What? It's not good for man to be alone. And so God parades all the animals in front of Adam and says, name them. And so Adam starts naming the animals. And then at the end of that, look at verse 20. And the man gave names to the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But, circle it in your Bibles, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable, same words, one to fill his gaps, there was not found a helper for him. What was God doing here? I I mean, God was showing Adam, I call this uh, God's Bachelor Awareness Program. Basically, he's showing Adam, Adam, none of these are right for you. You need a helper that is suitable for you. You need one that's just right for you, Adam. And so here comes the giraffe. Adam looks up and says, that's not going to work. And here comes the hippo, and he says, I'm glad that's not going to work. And he prays all the animals right by Adam. Adam names all the animals, and it says, but for Adam, there was not found a suitable helper. God's saying, Adam, none of these are right for you. 
And so what does God do? God puts Adam to sleep. He's the first anesthesiologist. He pulls a rib out of his side. He's the first surgeon. And he creates woman. And so Adam wakes up, and he looks over, and there is Eve. And he says, whoa, man. And we get whoa, man, out of woman out of that right there. I mean, imagine, Adam has just seen every animal in the whole universe parade by him. He names them, and then he falls asleep, and God makes the perfect one that is suitable for him. And he wakes up and goes, wow, wow. That's what it says in the original Hebrew. You think I'm kidding, don't you? Really, you think I'm kidding. You look down at verse 23. And the man said, this is now. In the Hebrew language, there's one word that's translated, this is now. It's called a hapax legomenon. That's a big, two big words, two of the biggest words that I know anyway. Hapax legomenon. What, what that means, it, it describes Hebrew grammar, Hebrew vocabulary. That particular word occurs one time in the Hebrew language. That's it. That's the only time that word is used in the Hebrew language. It's never used anywhere else in the Bible or in the language. And so you're a translator of the Bible. And you've got this one word that occurs one time. Adam wakes up. These are Hebrew scholars. I mean, they're not romanticists at all. These are scholars. And so they translate it. Adam wakes up and he says, this is now. It's like a soliloquy. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You think after seeing all those animals waking up and seeing a naked woman right there, he says, this is now? He's not a man like I'm a man if that's the case. That's why I have it on good account. You've got it where you can write, wow, I'm putting my name next to it. When Adam woke up, he didn't say, this is now. He goes, wow, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is the gift God's given me. You've got it on good scholarship, Cajun scholarship right there. (laughs) Should we call woman because she was taken from man? And so, God, I, you know, I, I love, little boy went home after uh, reading this passage and studying Sunday school, and uh, he was running and running that Sunday afternoon. He came running in the house screaming to his mom, Mom, you know, when you run a bunch of your side starts hurting, he says, Mom, Mom, you've got to do something for me. I think I'm going to have a wife. <laughs> little girl was asked what she learned in Sunday school that day after going through this passage. She said, uh, God made man first, looked at him and said, I can do better than that. So he made woman. Adam responds and says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. By the way, uh, I have in my notes, remind men it's Valentine's Day this week. Remind men it's Valentine's Day. Um, Sometimes we get more excited about a football game or Olympics or killing something rather than our spouses. Sometimes we're more excited about a good sale at the mall or getting together with the girls for coffee than our spouses. It's Valentine's Day. It just so happens uh, we're teaching this teaching this passage this week, and it's Valentine's Day. Uh, You should know your mate well. Uh, There was a couple attending a a, a Campus Crusade marriage conference a number of years ago, Family Life Conference. The speaker said, you should know your husband and wife very well. For instance, can you describe your wife's favorite flower? One guy raised his hand and said, Pillsbury (laughs) all-purpose. I bet that was a wonderful night, don't you? So back to Mark chapter 10. We see God's ideal. God's ideal is broken. It's broken because of sin's shattering effects. 
So all the way back in Mark chapter 10, there is a question. What do we do as a result of this? And, and Jesus quotes the, the, the passage that's used more than any other on marriage from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2. For this cause a man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, the two become one. That verse teaches us at least three things. It teaches many things, but there are at least three things it teaches us. One, marriage is monogamous. It's monogamous. It's one man, one woman for life. Secondly, it's permanent. The divine design is one man, one woman for life. When I used to do premarital counseling, we have so many get married now, we offer a class rather than individual counseling. But when I used to bring young couples in, many of you have counseled, and we've done this together, I, I, I would say, here's an index card. I want you to write the word divorce on it. And then what did I have you do after that? Tear it up. That word should never come up in your vocabulary as a couple. If you don't do this, then I'm leaving. You don't do this, I'm divorcing. You don't do this, then I'm out. Take that word, tear it up, and don't let it be part of your vocabulary, period, at all. Godly people don't threaten godly people in that way. Babe, I'm in this for a lifetime. We're going to work it out no matter what. And so it's, it's monogamous, it's permanent, it's heterosexual. It's heterosexual. There's a big debate in our culture right now about homosexual marriage. The word of God is very clear. Marriage is between a man and a woman, period. Anything outside of that is sinful and wrong. That doesn't mean that, uh, that you will not have homosexual desires. Some of you do. Some of you are battling that temptation right now. We would love to meet with you. We would love to help you with those desires and that temptation. So God's word is pretty clear what's to happen. One man, one woman for life. We're not to trade them in for a better deal, for a better-looking, younger model, but we are to be joined together for a lifetime. Well, sin enters the world. This this ideal is broken. It's shattered. And so the result of that is marriages do break up. And that leads to the question that the Pharisees are asking of Christ. They come to him, and they're testing him. By the way, there were two primary schools of Pharisees, rabbinical thought in that day and age. Uh, the, The rabbis were divided into several schools, but the two major schools of thought were the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. Shammai has an S at the beginning. It was a stricter school. Hillel has a bunch of L's in it. It was the liberal school. And so they debated among themselves as to what would be a cause for divorce. And so if you look at the question they ask in verse 2, is it legal, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, they had gotten to the point where almost any reason was lawful, any reason was legal. In fact, I can give you instances from history where there was a woman who was a man was allowed to divorce his wife because his wife complained about his in-law, her in-laws all the time, his parents. Imagine if that became grounds of divorce today. Another woman continually burned her husband's meals. He was allowed to divorce her. Another woman spat in the street publicly. She spit publicly, and the result is he was allowed to divorce his wife. So just about any reason was there, as long as you took care of the paperwork. And so the question is, Jesus, are you the school of Shammai, you the school of Hillel, are you stricter, are you more liberal? Which school are you going to follow after? And Jesus stuns them with his answer. They are stunned. He answered and said, then why did Moses command you? And they say, well, Moses didn't command it. He permitted it. You're exactly right. It was permitted. It was permitted. It was not commanded. In fact, Moses allowed this to happen. You know why? Look at verse 5. Because of your hardness of heart. By the way, the legislation in Deuteronomy 24, they're referring to, if you look at what took place there, the question that was there, if some indecency is found in a woman and the husband puts her away and then he remarries and something happens in that second marriage, can he go back to the first wife? And the answer under the Mosaic law was no, you cannot. That's really what the legislation was about in Deuteronomy 24. 
And so now they come to Christ and say, can a person be divorced for any reason at all? And Jesus' answer ultimately is, yeah, there is one reason why or one biblical thing that allows for divorce to take place, and that thing is immorality. When immorality takes place, you go to the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 19, and Jesus says, except for the cause of immorality, divorce is not permissible. This is Matthew chapter 19. It's a fuller reading of what Jesus was talking about. In our studies, we've seen John has spoken uh, less and written less than the other Gospels. And so here's what it says. Jesus says in Matthew 19:9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity, immorality, the Greek word is pornea, referring to sex outside of marriage. Anybody who divorces except for adultery and marries another woman commits adultery. You know what the disciples' response was to that? I mean, in that day and age, your wife spit in the street, you could divorce her. Your wife talked badly about your parents, you could divorce her. Your wife burned breakfast every morning, you could divorce her. The disciples in Matthew chapter 19, verse 10, their response to that is, if that's the only exception, that is adultery in marriage, it's better not to get married. It's better not to get married. That is too difficult of a saying. The disciples and the Pharisees were stunned at the response of Jesus. I might add, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul comes along and uh, Paul says that there's also a second allowance for biblical divorce, and that is abandonment when a believer is abandoned by an unbeliever. So at TBC, we've actually written a position paper, we've taught on this many times, divorce is permissible in the cases of adultery or the desertion of a believer by an unbeliever with a right to remarry. That's what we see in the scriptures. We see in the scriptures. So there's the teaching. There's the teaching. I want to focus on the so what. I'd like to focus on the so what. And to do that, I would like to address three groups of folks. Three groups of folks. Group number one, those of you who are married. If you're married, let me see your hand. Okay, now one good eye is looking at you right now. Every one of you. Every one of you. Within the married group, within those of you who are married, there are three groups of us. Some of you are married and miserable and one out. You're married, miserable, and one out. You have no biblical reason to get out. Your faith has not been, your your spouse has not been unfaithful. They've not abandoned you. You're miserable and you want to get out. That is a sinful, shameful choice, period. Period. Scripture says, Malachi, God hates divorce. If you want out for biblical reasons, it's a sinful, shameful choice. You have no biblical warrant to get out. It's a sinful, shameful choice. And you know who pays the most for that? Your kids. See, they have no say over this. Mom and daddy decide that they're tired of hammering it out, fighting it out, or whatever else, and so they're the ones who pay the ultimate price. In fact, uh, here's the words. I, Jim, you're going to have to help me. I can't go for it. Uh, what upset, there are a lot of marriages today that break up just at the point where they could mature and deepen. We are taught to quit when it hurts. But often it's times of pain that produce the most growth in a relationship. Some of you are miserable and one out, and you can learn more right now than any other time, any other time in your life. Your kids are the one, if you get out, your kids are the one who going to pay the price. Candace, age eight, said this. Let's go to the next slide. What upsets me most about my parents' divorce is the hurt that you get deep down. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you know that. Some of you have that. Swahili saying, when elephants fight, the grass always is the one that suffers. When parents fight, the kids are the ones that suffer. 
That's, that's who suffers, the kids. You as an adult make a decision and your kids are the victims, period. And it's wrong. If you have no biblical justification to get out of that marriage, it's sinful and shameful if you pursue it. So the first group of married people are those who are miserable and want out. Second group, you're miserable and don't want to do anything about it. You're miserable and don't want to do anything about it. You're miserable. Here's how it goes. You can relate to that scene of them fighting, but you decide, hey, I'm going to stick in this no matter what. I'm going to stick it out. And you're not worried about getting better. You're just happy that you can come home and have a meal cooked for you or at least have somebody to come home to. But your conversation is steeped in nothingness. You get to be in your 50s and you sleep in separate bedrooms. And ostensibly it's because she snores or he snores. He snores so loudly, I'm going to a different bedroom. And I recognize in some cases that is the case. I will also tell you, Walmart makes earplugs. My wife wears earplugs every night. I snore like a freight train. I take hearing aids out. She doesn't snore, I just take them out because I'm not going to sleep in them. I would never say she snored even if she did. But here's the reality. Some of you are in frigid marriages right now. You haven't touched one another in years. It's frigid. You are a nagging woman to live with. You're hard to live with. I mean, scriptures say it's better to live in the corner of an attic than with a nagging woman. I didn't make it up. It's in Proverbs. Hey, you're a guy. You know what? Hey, you, you, know, you, you don't demonstrate. There's something that happens to a lot of guys at the altar when they get married. They go brain dead in the area of romance. I mean, they do everything to win that woman and nothing to keep her. And so your marriage becomes frigid and cold. You come home and go, I don't know why she doesn't want me. Let, let me let me let you know something. I don't care if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. She doesn't look at you and say, hunka hunka, burning love. I can't wait to have you. <laughs> she didn't marry you for your body. She married because you gave your heart to her. And when you quit giving your heart to her, she doesn't want your body, I can tell you that. And so, guys, you've got to go back to what you do, what, what you should be doing. That is loving that woman that God has given you unconditionally. When's the last time you even dated your wife? Last time you took her on a date? Here's an assignment for you. Ladies, write in his notes, take me on a date. Okay? I hadn't told this story in years. There, there was a Midwestern couple. They're in their farmhouse. They're sound asleep. They're, they're in their 60s, and a tornado comes, lifts the roof off the house. They're cast into the field next door, and she is crying and crying. He says, are you okay, Maya? I'm okay. I said, what are you crying about? She said, this is the first time we've been out together in over 30 years. <laughs> hey, what do you do to develop love in your relationship? Really, some of you are miserable, and you're not doing anything to change it. Miserable. Your, your house is like Antarctica in the wintertime. That's not what God wants. It's a terrible example to kids. You can do something about that by God's grace. Third group of folks, you're married, you're happy, and you're grateful. And you say to God be the glory. Man, I am the most blessed man in the world. I am. I'm the most blessed man in the world. So here's what we're going to do this morning. You've got a spouse with you? I want you to lean over and give him or her a hug right now. They're with you. Go ahead. You got kids there? Go ahead. I'm watching. Come on, babe. 
I need a hug. And a kiss. There you go. And uh, you can kiss them right now. Go ahead. She came. You see, she came out blindside. I almost missed her. Did you see that? <laughs> go ahead. You can kiss them right now in church. Some of you have not kissed in church since the day you got married. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. It's okay. It's okay. Hey, do you want me to be real about that for a second? For some of you, what just happened is the most painful thing in the world. See, because you're a brother, you'll hug your wife on Sunday in front of the brothers because Gary told you to, but you're not going to do it the rest of the week. And your wife is dying right now because she needs that. And ladies, your husband, when you hugged him just now, he almost wet his pants. Because you haven't shown him affection like that in many a month, many a year. Isn't that what you want, though? Isn't that what you want? God didn't want you to live in misery. He wants you to live in great joy and holiness with him. If you're struggling there, let me, let me offer you three things. Number one, number one, there's a class that's going to be offered, uh, Intimate Encounters by the Palmers. It's an eight-week study starting March 23rd. You can pick this up in the hallway. That class should be filled. Secondly, we have folks here that mentor and counsel folks. We've got folks, if you call me, I'll get you in touch with them. And uh, we've got some great marriage counselors here at TBC, folks that will mentor you, disciple you, and help you in your marriage. Most importantly, you get on your knees before God right now. And you ask him to restore a relationship that's broken. So I'm talking to married folks. Secondly, I want to talk to those of you who have been abandoned or who have lost a spouse not because you wanted to, but because they broke the biblical violations. They left you. You're the victim. You're the believer. You're no longer under bondage. You need to be free. You need to be free. And I heard for, I heard for it. TBC is filled with folks, single folks who didn't want to be divorced. But they were married to people who abandoned them. They were married to people who were unfaithful to them. And it's a tragedy. Thirdly, there's a group of you out there, you disobeyed God's word. You intentionally divorced someone even though you did not have the biblical right. It may have happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago. I'm going to offer to you some solutions. It's in the box on your outline. What if I've disobeyed the biblical pattern? Number one, you seek forgiveness. You call it what it was. It was sinful. It was wrong. If you divorced someone, a husband or a wife, and you did not have biblical reason to do it, that was sinful. It was wrong. So first of all, you seek God's forgiveness. Number two, you go and seek that person's forgiveness. You say, Gary, that happened 20 years ago. So what? Don't you want to be right before the Lord? Just go to that person. Jot them a note. Jot that. Let your current spouse know you're doing it now. Okay? But you go and say, you know, I, I, I learned something in the scriptures today. When I left you 20 years ago, 30 years ago, two months ago, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And you know, he, some of you do that with kids. They're adult children right now. If they get a note from a mom or a dad saying, I am so sorry, I abandoned you when you were 8 or 10 years old, they would be in a heap for the next week. Because I've never heard that from you. You abandon that family. You divorce for non-biblical reasons. This week, you go and you seek forgiveness from those that you left. Secondly, if you've disobeyed the biblical pattern, Jim, you have to walk me through these. Accept the forgiveness God offers. I'm not here to dump a bunch of guilt and shame on you. I'm telling you that God can 
give you the forgiveness that you need. Thirdly, what if you've disobeyed the biblical pattern? Seek reconciliation if remarriage has not occurred. You're divorced. He hadn't remarried. She hadn't remarried. You know, bring great glory to God. You reconciled. Now, you don't leave a second marriage to go back to a first marriage. That's not what you do. But if this has happened and that person is still still not married, I have done nine remarriages of folks who have married, divorced, and gotten back together. And I'm going to tell you, it's one of the most glorious things I've experienced. I don't have time. I've got a letter here from a young lady whose parents divorced when she was three, got back together at six. I had the privilege of performing that remarriage. I watched that dad get on a knee, look up in that six-year-old daughter's face and say, sweetie, would you forgive me for what I've done? Not a dry eye anywhere. And I've got to say something after that. (laughs) I mean, it was impossible. Next, what if you've disobeyed the biblical pattern? You're single right now. You stay pure. You stay pure. 1 Thessalonians 4.2 says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. Abstain from sexual morality. So if you're single out there, if you've never been married, you stay pure. You save yourself. Let me talk to those of you, my young people over here, all my college students. You stay pure. Young ladies, if there's a man in your life who says, If you love me, you'll give to me. You'll do it with me. You, you cut that guy loose right now. Young men, that that is your sister in Christ. She is going to be somebody's wife one day. If she's not your wife, she'll be somebody else's wife. I know what it's like to be a young man who's in love with a young woman. I've got red-hot Italian blood coursing through these veins. (laughs) God wants you to stay pure. Let, let Let me put it to you this way. On your wedding night, you will never apologize for your virginity. You won't. You'll never apologize for your virginity. But somewhere in the process... If you jump that fence, you're going to look at that one you fall in love with and one day marry and say, let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you what I did. Stay pure. Radical purity in an age that embraces impurity. I admire you. A lot of you have committed to that. And if you've messed up, you go to God. As I said, seek forgiveness, accept forgiveness, and move on. Finally, If I've disobeyed the biblical pattern, I follow God's command in that new relationship. You've got divorced and you shouldn't have and you've gone through that. You obey the mandate to stay married right now. Worship team, would you guys join me up here? Obey the biblical pattern. Here's how I'd like to end this thing. Here's how I'd like to end this thing. We have prayed for a lot of people this morning. We've prayed over and for a lot of people. So if I've got any elders and their wives, would you guys join me up here? I need elders and their wives up here with me. Uh, Do I have any here this hour? Elders and wives? If not, do I have any staff guys and wives up here? You guys join me? My elders don't come to church anymore, my staff. <laughs> if you don't have a wife, come on, Chase. You can come up here. Yeah. Greg and Lenny, would you guys join me up here? Uh, we just want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. Your marriage is struggling right now? Let's pray. Or maybe your kid's marriage is struggling. We want to pray for you. Maybe you're like we are. You've got adult sons and daughters, and your kids are struggling. We want to pray for you. Or or maybe your marriage is great, and you just want to say, I I want to come and tell somebody that. Come up here during this song. Come up here. Some of you just need to grab your wife's hand and get on your knees right here and dedicate your marriage to Christ because you've never done it. Or maybe you're struggling. Dedicate that to Christ because of that. I'm going to pray. We're going to keep our heads bowed. Anybody wants to join us, we'd like to pray for you and over you as the worship team sings. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace. Thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, some of us 
are blessed beyond belief and we give you praise. Some of us are struggling beyond belief and we pray for change. God, I pray for those who've broken the biblical mandate and haven't sought forgiveness that they would come to you right now and confess the sin that they committed and then accept the forgiveness you offer. I pray for the restoration of marriages. I I pray for cold marriages to become hot. I I pray for those who are are miserable that they they would come to you and you would make them whole. I, I pray for kids who've been wounded that there would be reconciliation with a mom or a dad this week because of this message. I pray that great things will happen. So the worship team sings, would you make your way up here and let's pray together? If it's not for your marriage and for your sons and your daughters, for your mom or your dad, some of your moms and dads are getting ready to split up and it's killing you right now. Or maybe just grab your wife's hand and get on your knees down here. You don't need us to pray. You just need to pray together or thank God together. The worship team sings, you do that. And here's how we're going to dismiss. Whenever you're ready to go, you go. Any point in time and this uh, song... You want to go, you can go. You don't have to stay to the end. You can either come pray, or you can get up and leave, or you can sit there and pray for other people.
would you leave quietly?